Hey, so I'm gonna get started. You guys socialize because I actually have to say something that's, I don't want to be a distraction while I'm up here. If you see, I don't have shoes on. Um, so, so I've become acquainted with the voice of God, I'd, I'd say probably really uniquely and intimately the past uh, five years. So uh, what was described earlier about how they, um, the fam- one of the families, the McDermott's, came to our basement and talked with my family. Ever since then, uh, God's just continually spoke through my thought life in ways that make me feel uncomfortable. So hence, I'm up here without shoes. Uh, I was headed up here without shoes actually a month ago. Um, I was about to walk up, and I usually pray before coming up, and uh, a thought came in my mind, which is take off your shoes, you're walking on holy ground. So uh, if you've ever read the account of Moses, that's what Yahweh told him. So what did I do as a good Christian? I said, heck no, that's uncomfortable. (laughs) Walked up here and preached a sermon. Um, I didn't want to stifle the Holy Spirit twice with the same thing. Um, So for whatever it's worth, um, I'm walking um, in the fear of God this morning, uh, not wanting to be a distraction, but wanting to be obedient, because here's the thing. Um, In this message, God is going to be calling you to do some crazy stuff by faith that will make you feel uncomfortable. And if it just so happens that uh, one of your lead pastors happens to do something that's crazy, right? Um, As an example this morning, maybe it will will encourage you to, to, what would the word be? Bold. Bold before the Lord if he's telling you to do something. So, with that being said, we're going to read the word of God together. As we all stand up in reverence and in honor for his word, which shapes our lives, I'm sorry we're standing up again. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, freedom to and freedom not to. You'll see as we read the word of God, there may be some times where you feel like saying amen or ouch. Whatever it is, there is freedom to express that as the spirit leads. With that being said, we're in Genesis 20, and Abraham has traveled to a new place after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which we covered last week. There, he's gonna interact with this king that goes by the title Abimelech. And here's what I want us to focus on, church. I want us to focus on Abe's deception. Sorry, I'll call him Abe for short. Abe's deception of Abimelech. Let's get to reading. Genesis 20, verse one. Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved on to Gerar, While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had brought her to him at his place. The servants brought her. Abraham lied. He approaches this new area, Gerar, and he ends up lying and he says that this is my sister. When we all know that Sarah is his bride. And the result of that lie ends up being that his bride, Sarah, then gets catcalled by the king into his bedroom. And you may be thinking, and the reason why we read together is actually to kind of follow the narrative as it plays itself out. I instantly was thinking at this part, what's about to happen? This is more drama than TNT. Let's continue to read on. Verse 3. But that night God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you're a dead man. Ooh, can you imagine God coming to you? <laughs> and by the way, we'll find out that he's innocent. He's like, you're dead. And then he follows it up with saying, for that woman you've taken is already married, exclamation mark. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. 
So, once the king heard that Sarah was Abe's bride and not his sister, he then calls her to sleep with her. We see that. Did Abe, my question is, know about this? Did he know that God would end up visiting in a dream because he's so protective of Abraham and his family and that there'd be some drama within the king? Did he know that that would happen? And so, side note, quickly, Moses, who writes this narrative, the whole book of Genesis, is including verse 4, Abimelech had not slept with her yet to make sure that we all knew 2,000 years later who Isaac's daddy was. It was not going to be King Abimelech. It was Abraham. Why does that matter? Because earlier, God told Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child and that from his descendants would come about the Messiah Jesus. You tracking with me? So there's, there's no concerns 2,000 years later of who Jesus is. Let's read on. Verse 4. So he said, Lord, you will destroy an innocent nation? This is the king. Didn't Abraham tell me she's my sister? And she herself said, yes, he's my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning, interesting, kept you from sinning against me. He doesn't even say against her. He says against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your peoples and your people's peoples will die. Abe's lie had not just negatively affected Sarah, now it's negatively affected the king and his people. And then the question that comes into my mind is, did Abe intend for this to happen? Did he know this was going to be the repercussion of his lie? Well, let's read on. Bill, don't pass out on me. We got two more minutes of reading. Verse 8, Abimelech got up early the next morning and quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves such treatment like this? Making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you have done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Abraham replied, I thought, I thought, I thought. How much do you hear about our kids saying, I thought, I thought. I thought this was a godless place. They will want my wife and kill me to get her. And she really is my sister, by the way. For we both have the same daddy, but different moms. By the way, that's a half-sister. And I married her when God called me to leave my father's home and to travel from place to place. I told her, do me a favor, <laughs> husbands. Don't use this language ever. It's always going to lead to manipulation. Can you do me a favor? Do me a favor. And what does he say? Wherever we go, tell the people that I am your brother. We finally see why Abraham told the initial lie to the king. Deception. Which means to conceal or misrepresent the truth. We see all of this happen. An avalanche because of one man's lie, which was motivated by a misrepresentation of truth. That's what we're going to talk about today. Y'all ready? You already drove here. You might as well be ready. 
Let's go. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Increase in this place. I give you all my faculties. Even, even, even shoes, I guess, this morning is what you told me, God. But God, would we be surrendered unto you that much more? Capture our hearts again. Grow our affections for you. Don't let us settle for less. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take a seat, y'all. Thank you, Bill, for enduring that whole deal. Church, I want to start off now by asking a set of questions, and you answer them in your heart. It's going to be a sliding scale, okay? One to five. One means could not care less. Five means I'm so, so interested in that. I want that. So the first question would be, do you care about your reputation? <laughs> so, <and laughs> some bold woman over here said, yeah, bless you. Do you care about God's reputation? Sliding scale. How much? Do you care about the emotional health of your family and friends? What would that number be? Do you care about closeness with your family or your friends? Sliding scale. What would that be? Do you care if your family sticks together? Sliding scale. What would that be? And do you care to be close with God? How close? Sliding scale. One to five. What would that be? Church, all of those things are influenced and can be broken in a moment. Just like that. When we either live in the light of truth or we choose to make continual decisions based on concealing the truth and misrepresenting it, also known as living in deception. In a moment's notice, all the things that we all would agree that we adore and want, most of us would say, you know, three to five on all those good godly things, can be lost if we live in constant deception. Why? Because deception continues to build and build and build, and there, there will be repercussions that we never foresaw or wanted. Why? Because we first chose to conceal the truth and not bring it out. And under that is this, this old way of living, the old Roy, the old fill in your name, which is I want what I want. I want it my way. And the enemy will use deception, which is concealing or manipulation or misrepresentation of truth. Get you to participate in it. To draw you out of the spiritual umbrella and covering of our creator. And to undermine everything, everything that you care for the most. And I, I don't mean to paint just a gloomy picture but I do, want, I do want to tell you, just in the prayer closet this week and preparing for this, I had some scary stuff that I thought on that I don't think I, that came from me. Meaning that I, there may be people in here right now who are considering or have already recently fall into a pattern of deception, of misrepresenting the truth, then justifying it in order to get your way. And this morning in this text is a massive caution to say, born again, brother and sister of God, that ought not be for us. 
There is so much more for us than to settle with our former ways and patterns of thinking. So we're going to get into the text. And my prayer is that God, if we have a humble attitude and come to him, that he will caution us to stay away from this stuff, to stay away from a life of deception. Or he will rebuke us, convince us, and heal us, and restore us from the things that we're getting involved in now. Are you feeling me, church? Because I'm hot in here. I don't know if you're hot in here, but your boy's preaching, and it's hot on this stage. We're getting into verse 1. Let's go. Abraham moved to to the south to Negev, and we're going to walk all the way through this again, and live for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved on to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abraham introduced his wife Sarah by saying, she's my sister. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought to him at his palace. Here's the sad thing contextually, is that this is not the first time that Abraham has told this, this same lie. 25 years earlier, they're in a similar situation in a foreign land as they're wandering, wanting to settle. They're in Egypt. And in order to save his skin, he ends up lying to the Egyptians and said, this is my sister. What happens? The same exact pattern from 25 years prior happens. In a tight squeeze, Abraham's lying. And then the repercussion is Sarah has to pay the price. Pharaoh ends up calling her into his bedroom. So what can we learn from that little contextual nugget? It's this. Concealing or misrepresenting sin, misrepresenting truth is a heart issue. Deceit is a heart issue. It's been 25 years since Abraham should have known better. He gets another shot in an inconvenient place, thinking he'll be killed as a foreigner again. And what does he do? He doesn't do anything different than what he did before. And so that goes against the misconception that we may think as you get older, just because of your age and you stack them up, you become more integrous, more whole, more built up in character, to speak in our language, more sanctified. But we don't see that in the text. Why? Because... Underneath deceit, which is a sin, a misrepresentation of truth, is a heart issue. So I've been walking with Jesus for 15 years now. I've known since the day I got born again in college in 2007, that lying and deception, misrepresenting or concealing truth so that I get my way is wrong. Not just wrong, but I got discipled that it mourns the heart of God. He becomes sorrowful over my sin. And yet, it was just this past week that I fell into the same trap of deceit. It's been 15 years, and just this past week, I walk into a coffee house. And as I walk into a coffee house, I see a friend of mine. And I realize, oh my goodness, my friend sent a text to me earlier asking to respond to him with some urgency. I just walked in and I seen him. And I had not yet responded. Have you ever been in that situation where you're like, oh, I've contacted, you've contacted me, 20 emails. Now I'm seeing you and I've seen all of them. What do I say now? And so what did, what did I do as a good Christian? I, I lied. I lied. I, it exposed people pleasing within me. What happened was I, I went up and I said, hey, I, I hadn't even, my, my day's been so busy, haven't looked at my phone, da, 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 when in reality I had and I had seen the text, and I could have been thoughtful. All I had to do was just say, 
hey, I've been busy all day, and so I haven't. What, what's up? What's going on? And instead, to save face, because of underneath it was the hard issue of people pleasing and fear of man, I end up instead just saying, hey, yeah, I haven't seen any text. You know, what's going on? Fill in the blank. So just to let you know that the whole age thing, if you don't, if it, it's not true. You don't just float into holiness. You don't just become more like Jesus without any effort. It takes engagement and surrender because there are heart issues that we have to continually keep up and manicuring. Church, many of us are choosing now to deceive others. And we need to know this morning that there is a deeper heart issue underneath there's something that you want. There's something that I wanted in that moment. So later in the text, we're going to find out exactly what Abe wanted. Let's get back into the text and see how our deceiving, our manipulating, right, us doing whatever we can to get our way, misrepresenting truth, concealing truth has some ugly repercussions. Verses 3 through 8. But that night God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, You're a dead man, for that woman you have taken is already married. But Abimelech had not slept with her yet. So he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Abraham tell me she is my sister? And she herself said, Yes, he is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God then responded, Yes, I know you are innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband and he will pray for you for he is a prophet. Then you will live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Abimelech got up up early the very next morning and quickly called all his servants together. When he told them what had happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham and here's what we're focusing on. What have you done to us? He demanded, what crime have I committed to deserve this treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of this great sin? No one should ever do what you've done, whatever possessed you to do such a thing. Abraham's lie ends up affecting way more than he would have ever thought. And we end up seeing that it produces innocent victims. The king and all of his people are innocent of this supposed sin. It may be our children now will have to live in two homes because we've been living deceitfully. It may be that our spouse plays house with another because we've chosen to live deceitfully. It may be that our neighbors and coworkers don't want anything to do with our God because of our deceit and misrepresentation of truth. Church, this is nothing to play with. This little sin of deceit, the small story that I shared that was funny in the coffee house. There are real humans, real image bearers of God with real emotions whom will hurt, whom we will hurt if we choose to live by deceit, the last thing that you or I ever want to do is for loved ones to look us in the face after we've been found out deceiving and gone too far 
and for them to say what the king said to Abe. What have you done to us? Papa, what have I ever done to deserve treatment like this? No one should ever do what you've done, Mom. Whatever possess you to do such a thing? You can hear the anguish in the king's voice. When we live by deceit and don't choose to walk in the light, when we misrepresent or conceal truth, this can end up being the way that God disciplines us. Why? Because he loves those whom he disciplines. And he also loves those whom we hurt. And they don't have to stick around because of our disobedience. Some of us grew up in single family households because a parent concealed the truth. Some of us grew up in two households with separate schedules, separate family dynamics because our parents, they misrepresented the truth and lived a lie. Child of God, I'm here to tell you this morning, you do not have to do that. You don't have to fall into the same generational sin that Abraham fell into of continuing to deceive, manipulate, to get our way. Actually, if you're born again, your creator has called you to break that generational sin, that generational curse. And it's not you, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory from whom is our great abolitionist, amen? Galatians 5 says it this way, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So let's be a church, right, that continues to seek him and lay aside all of the smaller pleasures of life. I just want to let you know, if, you've, if you're the reason, if you're the agent, you're the main reason why your family has been divided, you've been divorced, fill in the blank, there is so much hope, restoration, healing for you. Uh, so much supernatural healing. You may have blessed you, have already experienced it. And I'm just up here and you can just say amen to it. There's so much of a healing touch that God has to restore the mind. To, to even do a supernatural gift of making us forget some of the things that we did to hinder our family and were the reasons why our family broke up. There's so much healing. If you've experienced that, don't return to that anymore. You don't got to return to those memories. If you've actually brought it to the Lord, which I'm telling you, if you haven't, do it. And you, you, you go to him and you say, God, I have not stewarded what you've blessed me with well. And God, I renounce all the decisions and the enemy's mind games that I bought into back then that brought me to that place. I renounce my affiliation with those things. I rebuke the enemy's voice. I'm gonna choose to live in truth and in the life. Please forgive me. And then here's the thing that comes after that, born again, child of God, is that you may not get your way, which is full restoration back to the way things were, but that's not your concern. Your concern is to be obedient as you read the word of God, which is for, to allow the Holy Spirit to form Christ's character within you and give you his desires and walk by obedience. That's your job. And then as you continue to read the word of God, he'll tell you his job, outcome. 
You can trust him with outcome. You'll start reading about how prayer does something in someone's heart and you realize, oh my goodness, you're calling me to minister with you, to partner. I can actually bring some healing. I may not totally be restored to my daughter. I acknowledge I've done some really terrible stuff, but you're telling me that I can pray for her and and you can heal her as a heavenly father in ways that are supernatural. All her insecurities, God, you can end up then covering over and making her even more confident than I ever would have expected. Yes. Your job's obedience. His job's outcome. Let's continue on. Concealing or misrepresenting the truth is not something to take lightly. Let's read on to clarify what Abe's deception was and why he did it. Okay, verse 10 through 12. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing, King Abimelech asked. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. And she really is my sister. For we both have the same father. You know how that thing works out. But different mothers. And I married her. He deceived Abimelech by telling a half-truth. He deceived Abimelech by giving some sort of truth in there, knowing that it wasn't the full truth. Sarah's Abe's half-sister, but he conveniently leaves out that they're also married. (laughs) And so that's what he ends up using to deceive the king. Church, Abe's trying to justify his lie. And he uses a half-truth to do so. What he doesn't understand is that a half-truth told with the intent to deceive is a whole lie. A half-truth told with intent to deceive is a whole lie. It is truly deception. It's truly manipulative. Half-truths, and here's the danger of it, y'all, so easy to justify. You can hear even, and I'm making his tone, right? But you can hear him literally go through the laundry as well. You know, she's my half-sister. That counts, right? You know, and then he's like, well, we have different dads. I happen to marry her too. Maybe I left that out. They're so easy to tell because there's truth in it. There's some truth in it. So we can all say, well, yeah, I told them, you know, I told them the thing. Like in my story, I was like, yeah, I told them that, you know, I didn't have my... My, my, phone on me, uh, my phone on me, yeah, that was a lie, but I, I was busy. I did tell him I was busy so I can justify my sin. And do you want to know, and I want to caution us this morning, <laughs> who uses that as a tactic to distract us? The enemy. The enemy used it in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. The enemy visits Eve and he deceives her by telling her a half-truth which is a whole lie. He does this to manipulate her. How? To start questioning. Oh, is God good? Did he really say that? Ooh, I don't know if I could obey that. Check it out with me. Genesis 3, verse 1. One day he, meaning Satan, asked the woman, did you really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? This is a half-truth. Satan knew that God had, what God had said earlier, and he said, you can eat from any of the trees, except for one. But Eve buys into the, into the lie, and the result is sin entering into the world. The result of that lie is a pastor having to get up and encourage the church and saying, let's live in Christ. Let's walk by the Holy Spirit. If this had not happened, we wouldn't be having this discussion because there'd be no brokenness, no fractured relationships. Creation would not be screaming with volcanoes erupting and killing people and earthquakes in California and all over the world saying this stuff is messed up. 
We need Jesus to return. None of that would be happening. Let's look back with me, though, at the text to finally get to the bottom. And here, I've been sweaty this past 20 minutes to get to this point. You feeling me? So it's time to get after what God's trying to tell us. Look back with me at the text to finally get to the bottom of why Abe misrepresented and concealed the truth. Verse 11. Abraham replied, I thought this is a godless place. They will want my wife and will kill me to get her. In one simple sentence within a verse, we see multiple layers of reasoning as to why he tells the half-truth, as to why he misrepresents the truth, as to why he conceals the truth, as to why he deceives. Heart issues. Here's the first one. Fear of man is the reason why he lies. He is admittedly fearful that if he does not say what he says, meaning deceives, then there's going to be a consequence that he fears more than not saying the lie. And so he offers up his bride to be slept with with the king. Number two, underneath that layer, these are hard issues as to why he, why he and we can deceive, is that he's living out of self-preservation. He's willing to sacrifice his own bride in order to save his own butt. Self-preservation. Number three, underneath that is selfishness selfishness. He's only thinking about himself. He's not thinking about the consequences of his actions. Underneath that, and here's the one I want us to really see. So we're, we're I mean, we're peeling back some layers here and getting to this deep. Unbelief. Underneath all those things, he did not believe that he would be protected by God. Let me give us some context. Literally, Uh, Two chapters ago, it could have been weeks, days, or months, God told Sarah that she would have a baby, and the baby daddy would be Abraham. That was a promise, and yet we find him here right now, not believing in that promise. He ends up taking things into his own hands. You would think, if we were in the situation, you're like, okay, God, got it, roger that, I'm going to be the baby daddy. And then weeks later, we're like confronted with some really hard stuff and our back's against the wall and we think maybe we'll be killed. You would think, oh yeah, well, I remember God told me that I'm gonna impregnate my bride, so I'll trust him with all this. You know what the issue with that is? It's logical. When you operate in unbelief, it takes away any reason. Reason is kicked out of the door. Reasonable faith is just booted out of the door whenever we operate in unbelief. So what does Abe do? Underneath that, Abe deceives in order to control. Abe deceives. He, tell, he misrepresents the truth in order to control. But child of God, this not be true of us. May this not be our legacy and pattern of life. It's not befitting of us born-again Christians to conceal and misrepresent the truth. Why? Because we belong to Jesus. And Jesus said that he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for through him. We belong to what epitomizes and defines truth. We no longer belong to the Father of lies, Satan, the devil himself. We fear God, not man. We are selfless, 
not selfish. We are self-sacrificial, not self-preserving. We walk by faith, not unbelief, and we are self-controlled, not controlling, amen? That's your born-again right. That was what you were bought for, and I was bought for was to operate with confidence in that way. So why do we struggle, church? Why do we struggle with misrepresenting or concealing truth? Our old sin nature. The old versions of ourselves before we came to Jesus. So what then is the solution? It's to make a habit of throwing it off. Look with me. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church, throw off your old sin nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by, what do you know it? Lust and deception. Your old sin nature, the old versions of us, is like a shirt and it reeks. It reeks of corruption, the scriptures say. It reeks of us misrepresenting the truth. It reeks of us always concealing the truth to get our way. And Paul doesn't call us to wash it. He didn't say throw it in the washing machine. He says throw that thing off. It stinks and it's not befitting of you, born again child of God. There's got to be a spirit-filled Christian who can give an amen to that. My goodness. Instead, he's telling us to throw that stinking thing off. And you know what he says? He says put something else on, Ephesians 4, verse 23. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on. We throw off, now he's telling us to put on our new nature. And what was that? It was created by God, who holds everything together. What is it? It's righteous and it's holy. And here's his next direction. Stop telling lies. That's the first thing he says. After he says, throw off your old sin nature, put on your new, then he says, hey, by the way, I want to focus you on one thing. Stop telling lies. That's not befitting of the new team shirt that we have that we put on consciously moments ago, years ago, weeks ago, the Team Jesus shirt. It's time for us, church, to put on our Child of God t-shirts. It's a reminder of our inheritance, our power, and our identity in Christ Jesus. Amen? And here's what I'm concerned about. The way that that's gonna go about through the scriptures is that we have to, it says the spirit renews our thoughts and attitudes, right, of our heart, our thinking and our heart, our emotions, by submitting to his word. By submitting to his word. I'm hesitant to even tell anyone in the church, hey man, I want you to submit to the word of God. Why? Because I don't even know if we read the word of God daily. I'm not up in your house. I have no clue. But what I do know is that we have the inclination in any moment, any day, any week to fall into the old patterns of thinking. Why? Because we fall out of step with opening up the word. I just, I just want to bring it to us. What the scriptures say is I'm not telling you to stop lying. Don't white knuckle it. Don't say I'm going to change the trajectory of my family by taking control of it. And I'm going to stop lying. And I'm going to do the thing. And I'm not. No, he's not telling us at all. He's saying you need to submit to God. So when you open up your word, do you know that those black and red letters aren't just black and red letters? It's the word of God. It's God breathed, the scriptures say. 
It reveals his will. He speaks to his people. In other words, when you open up that Bible, you're meeting with the person of God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing when we do that, how he gives us a love and affection for him that continues to fill us up so much that our bodies are so full of it that we, don't, we aren't even tempted with wanting to lie. It's just not a thing in that season. So, so for me to tell you to submit to the word of God, I just want you to say, I don't, I don't, you already know that. What I want you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to help you want to spend time with him in the word. And he will change your heart. I promise you, your boy doesn't get up 15 years after he got born again and I'm this, let's just say, maybe whatever you may perceive my character as, mature in Christ, which, Lord willing, I'm super immature 15 years from now, hopefully, because I just get up and I write sermons and then I, you know, hang out with family. And No, 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 no. It's because God has made me battle-tested in the tempting, in the trials. He's called me back to repentance, and I never want to repent unless it's associated with the heart of God. And I'm actually hearing him in my prayer closet, in my quiet times. You've heard me preach dead sermons. Do you know why? I hadn't been reading my Bible all week. Come on. It's not just me. It's for every single one of us. But why? Because we have our old sin nature that we are fighting against. Today, church, I just want to let you know I'm not special. This is just the word of God calling us back to resurrender. Not focusing on white knuckling and saying, no, I don't want to, no, 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 but actively taking off that stinky, wretched shirt again, daily, and putting on the new one, getting into the word, and then allowing the Father to speak identity to us. God wants that for us. So in this time, the band's going to end up coming up to play. And during that time, we're going to make space for y'all to close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit a few questions. Ask him, where am I concealing or misrepresenting truth? And then the next question is after he reveals it. And it'll sound like your own voice, most likely, a thought in your mind. And then you can re-ask it, right? Re-ask God and see if he brings it up again. When you get that answer, ask him then, what's underneath that? What is underneath that? Good question to ask is, what do I want when I'm actually concealing the truth? Why am I doing it? And then ask him to uproot that thing. Why? Because it's not befitting of us. It's not enjoyable to walk in it. We'll be hindered to fully live out the born again life. And there'll be repercussions. God is going to return one of these days. I don't know what age we are. I don't know if we'll even be here as a church. But what I do know is when I come across passages like this, I don't think it's by accident. He wants to purify his church. He wants to purify our households. In Jesus' name.